Hello, everybody. Good morning. I need a pen. I am a person that I use things in my hand, so if I don't have something in my hand to point, it's tough. Um, we all have our quirks. So thank you, Pastor Jim. Check. Top of my list said pray. And so uh, we got prayer, absolutely. Um, yeah, my name is Devon Urels. I've uh, my wife and I have been attending Harvest uh, since last year, so um, January of 20, was it 2021? I'm looking at my wife who was in the booth. <laughs> People are like, where's Lauren? I'll lock her up. <laughs> Keep her. No, she's in the booth. Uh, but I mentioned her because um, growing up, my dad's a pastor, so I'm a pastor's child. Growing up, anytime my dad was in the pulpit, there was something that he always did. And, I mean, he, sometimes he would do it at our home church, but every time he went and preached somewhere, he did this. He always did this. He always acknowledged his wife. So I always want to acknowledge my wife uh, because without her, I'm nothing in this sense. We are one, you know, in this aspect. We are one. And so even last night, uh, preparing. I'm asking her questions. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And so um, I'm appreciative uh, that God gave us to each other. Uh, and so I don't want to take her for granted, even though sometimes we, we clash. <laughs> we, because uh, that's what you do when you're married. So today, we're actually talking about a wedding. We're talking about a marriage. So uh, open up your Bibles. Pastor Jim says, turn on your Bibles. Uh, get to John chapter 2. Uh, so we've spent um, a lot of time in John chapter 1 so far, working our way all the way through John. It's a beautiful book, uh, speaks of the godness of Jesus himself. So today we are focused in the wedding at Cana. And so for married people in the room and people soon to be married in the room, I want you to think about your, your wedding day. So, married people, I want you to really think about your wedding day um, and the stresses that some. I see people already like, yeah, <laughs> the stresses that sometimes are caused on a wedding day. Um, now, I want you to think of the worst thing that you were hoping would not happen. The worst thing for a bride is I tripped, fell, scuffed up my knee, veils all over the place. Uh, hair and makeup's a mess. Uh, for the groom, it could be, I forgot the ring in my sock drawer. Ugh. Hope they don't notice. Um, but think about it. I want you to think back. For some of you all, you've been married a long time. We've got some 50-year clubbers in here, some folks that have been married about 50 years. We've got some, like myself, that have only been married a year. And then I know we've got some that are actually planning marriage right now. And, and so... As you've been thinking about your wedding day, thinking about what could have gone wrong, now imagine it did. This is the context of where our story is today. Something went wrong. In this context, the wine ran out. Now, for us, in, in our context, it's like, oh, okay, no problem. The wine ran out. But in this context, in the scripture, it's a bigger deal than what we think. So, let's talk about, I've got five points for us today. If you've got uh, your, your bulletin, they are in there, so feel free. Uh, take notes how you 
Phil, in our uh, Sunday school class, we've been talking about learning styles. Some people learn visually. Some people learn auditorily. Some people learn by writing. Some people learn by just watching. However you learn, you've got an outline. You can see me. People online, you can see me as well. There's a little dirt stain in my tie, so I don't know if that's going to come through, but that's all right because it's all going to be good today. So, The text, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read it all, and then we're going to dissect it. It says, on the third day, I'm reading from the ESV, by the way. On the third day, there was a a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water and now become wine, and did not know where it came from, although the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. Then, but you have kept the good wine until now. Verse 11, this, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Amen. First point, when the wine runs out, we should invite Jesus. When the wine runs out, we should invite Jesus. So uh, verses one and two, we're going to focus here. So there's some context I want to unpack a bit for us. So it says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana. So Pastor Jim has been preaching very well in the book of John. So last week he walked us through uh, a day-by-day process of what's been going on. So if we can get that first slide up. The next one, I'm sorry. There we go. So when the one, so I'm going to walk you through these days. So day one uh, was John chapter 1 verse 19. John's testimony about Jesus. Day two, verse 29 through 34, Jesus makes a de- uh, John makes a declaration, behold, the Lamb of God. Day three, last week and day four were, were last week's messages. And then we've got day five, which I'm considering what's called this journey to Cana. And then day six, we have the wedding. So it says on the third day, what does that mean? And so if you read in the Bible, it says, and the next day. This happened, and then the next day, this happened, and then the next day, this happened. Then he says on the third day. Well, what he's really saying is two days later. <laughs> That's what he's saying, two days later. So it's not the next day, it's the third day. So two days later. So in the story, we see that Jesus had traveled to Galilee. We think he may have traveled to Galilee. I think I've got a map up there somewhere. We think he may have traveled to Galilee. Oh, it's really hard. I'm sorry. Uh, and I didn't bring my clicker. Uh, near where the Jordan River is, this is where John is believed to have his ministry. So we see that, behold, the Lamb of God, we see Jesus shows up where John is. So John actually 
kind of uh, it's kind of a I, I can't show it, but it's up there. Uh, it's far away uh, where John is capped, where we see Jesus is. And then next thing you know, Jesus says, and Pastor said this last week, he finds Philip, and which is just amazing. He went, he goes to find Philip. So we think. This is now in, in the region of Galilee, because we don't think the word says it, that he goes to Galilee to find Philip. So we know he's somewhere in Galilee, probably Capernaum, because that's where Andrew Peter lived, where they fished. And Philip was from Bethsaida, which is across the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So we know that, but that's not considered Galilee. So Philip is in Galilee because Jesus went to find him. So it's about a a 50-mile radius, what commentators believe, uh, the journey between where Jesus was to now where Cana is. So it took some time. So, of course, Jesus is God. He could have just translated himself like that and been there. But he's got the entourage with him. He's got some disciples, which we've, we've seen in chapter 1. So it says, that, no, context on Cana. I'm going to move this until I need it again. Cana, roughly eight miles northeast of, of Jesus' birthplace of Nazareth. Scripture says that Jesus' mother was at the wedding. Uh, now, they, commentators differ on Mary's role at the wedding. Uh, tradition is, has told us that Joseph is probably dead at this point, uh, and Mary may actually live in Cana. If you read Matthew and Mark's Gospels, Jesus is teaching and preaching in Nazareth. And the Nazarenes say, well, he's just the carpenter's son. Joseph is his father, and his sisters live amongst us. That's what Matthew and Mark say. Well, that leads us to believe that Jesus doesn't live there anymore. Mary doesn't live there anymore because the Nazarenes don't say, well, his sister's and Jesus and the brothers and the mother live here. They just say the sisters actually live in Nazareth. So at this point, Mary may have moved. She may live in Cana. We, we don't know uh, from what the Bible tells us. But we know Mary is at this place. And now when it comes to Cana itself, Cana is a small town. It's a small place. We know Nathaniel, uh, who was just called by Jesus in the previous chapter, is from Cana. We know that from John chapter 21, verse 2, that Nathan was from Cana. So it's, it's easy to, for us to believe that the disciples and Jesus knew some people at this wedding. So talking about the wedding context now. Weddings at that time period and still today in some parts of our world or a little bit different than the context that we've accustomed to in the United States. Can you imagine going to a wedding for a week? Some people are like, no, <laughs> one day's enough. <laughs> and some people are like, yeah, absolutely. Bring us that wine, bring us that food, absolutely. So in this context, weddings were typically a week or even longer. So if you go to Genesis um, chapter 29 and verse 27, and also Judges chapter 14, uh, we read of the bridal week, that there was a week long of activities and festivities. So during this week, it was the responsibility of the host. And who's the host? It's the bridegroom. The groom is what we call it. <laughs> the groom and the family. They are to prepare food and entertainment and drink for every single day. Now, in this story, we don't read, we don't know what day this 
is happening. We don't know if this is day one, day four, day 10. We don't know. All we know is from what we read, the resources were running out, were running low, and actually had run low. And this was a huge disgrace. This was, this was a major problem in this context. And, and so for us today, I want us to imagine we go to a wedding so you can understand this context. It's something that was embarrassing to happen. Imagine going to a wedding and the mother of the bride punches the groom. <laughs> Fight breaks out. Pandemonium. Dresses are all up. People are taking photos, Snapchatting it, putting it out on places. It's, it's embarrassing. You're like, oh, my goodness, where are we? Like, is this an episode of whatever? I would say Jerry Springer, but that may be telling age a little bit. But, uh, but it, it, this, is, this is odd. This is a disgrace. So this is what it means for the wine to run out. This was a huge deal. This was a major disgrace. So let's pick up in verse 1. We read that the mother of Jesus is at the wedding. Now, again, we don't know from the text, again, what day it is. But verse 2, it's going back to the point we should invite Jesus. Jesus and his disciples were also invited. Again, we see from chapter 1 just last week that we see there's at least five disciples with Jesus. At least five we saw that it read last week that there were two disciples. One was Andrew. Andrew went and found Peter, told Peter about it. And so then the next thing you know, we see John or, or Jesus goes to find Philip. Then what does Philip do? He goes and gets Nathaniel. Then Jesus says, I saw you under this tree. So right now we've got Andrew. Simon, who Jesus renamed Cephas, the rock. Philip, that's three. Nathaniel, that's four. So remember there was this other disciple. Well, most traditions and commentators will say this is the person writing the book. This is John himself. Later on, John describes himself as the one Jesus loved or the, the one that's loved. He never really just says, it's me. <laughs> and even right here, it's the other, the other disciple. So there's some humility there uh, that, that John is speaking from. But so, but I said, we think there's five, but if you go into Matthew and Mark, as well as Luke's gospels, we also read that when John was called, the writer of this book, his brother James was also called, and they were called the sons of somebody, the sons of thunder. That's right. They're not Thor, but the other, th real thunder. See, I'm a nerd. I got to get that out every time I talk. Sons of Thunder. So if John's there, James has got to be there too. You know, so whether it's five, whether it's six, whether it's all 12, we aren't really sure from this context, but we know that they were invited. Now let's, let's talk about our life. Let's talk about our major celebrations, our major achievements. Do we invite Jesus? Do we invite Jesus to our weddings? Do we invite Jesus to our birthdays? Do we invite Jesus to our accomplishments, the things that are happening in our life? I've got a medal. I've been recognized. We're going down to City Hall. We're going to be on TV. Is Jesus there? Well, how do I invite Jesus to these ceremonies? Easy. Pray. Jesus, just thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for allowing me to, to be on my 10th birthday. 
Lord, thank you for giving my wife and I 50 years. Lord, thank you for this celebration. Thank you for this, this honor that you've bestowed upon me today. Invite Jesus into our hearts. It's not just inviting Jesus into where we are. Invite Jesus into our hearts. We don't know who the, the bridegroom or the bride is, but we know they invited Jesus. Now, did they understand they were inviting the creator of the entire universe to come down and get some sandwiches? <laughs> Probably not. But the source was already there. So let's go to Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10, and this is going to be in the New Living Translation. All righty. It's already on the board. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew, also Levy, sitting at the tax collector's booth, collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Verse 10, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I love it when the word gives us these words, disreputable, these, these sinners. My previous pastor, he, he never called people sinners. He called people pre-believers. <laughs> Sinner, make you, make you don't, it don't make you feel good. You're just a pre-believer. <laughs> Whatever, they were disreputable. That's what the word says. So again, Matthew, Levy is this tax collector, this person that's known for cheating the Jews, cheating them out of their money, pocketing the money. But guess what? Jesus got a hold of them and said, follow me. There was no, we, we don't read any, well, let me go find my mom. Let me go do this. He followed him. And then what's the next thing he do? He invited Jesus over for those sandwiches. Different translation says Jesus reclined. If you study reclined, that just means he was there. So Jesus is there. Not only did he invite Jesus, he was a good person on their first day. You know what happens when you first believe in Christ? You're on fire. You start telling everybody, I just heard about this Jesus, and I'm believing, I'm saving. I want you to come to church because you're going to go to hell if you don't. Mm, true. <laughs> but using some wisdom. So what does Matthew do? He doesn't say anything. All he does is invite the God of our world, the creator of our universe, the sustainer that holds everything together to a meal. But also, he invites some friends. Let, let Christ do the work. Sometimes we too busy getting ahead of the word. We want to tell you a piece of our mind instead of telling you a piece of his mind. Amen? So let's not get ahead of Jesus, but let's do, let Jesus do what Jesus has to do. Let's go to the next. Verse 3 says, Now when the wine runs out, we must intercede on others' behalf. Verse 3, When the wine runs out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. We got any mothers in the room? <laughs> This is just interesting. <laughs> you ask your child to do something. And he, I've never talked to my mom this way. Woman, <laughs> what does this have? I have said, what does it have to do with me? 
My hour has not yet come. So this is Jesus' response. What is Mary's response? Servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Mary knows. Mary knows something. Now, again, there's two separate camps that we can follow to understand what what Mary is going through. One camp, again, I've told you before, Joseph is gone. Tradition says Joseph is dead. Jesus is the firstborn. Jesus is the head of the family. So one camp, you could think, well, Mary may have asked Jesus to do this miracle because, well, he's in charge. Maybe he can do something about it. He's the firstborn. Again, we may, they may be relatives of the people at this wedding. So again, Mary's, why is Mary so in, in, interested in the wine? There's a lot of people there. But Mary specifically, and if you read in verse 1, it says Mary was there. It didn't say Mary was invited. I'm saying Mary's there. I don't know. Mary may be in charge of catering. Uh, Mary, I don't, we don't know her role, but Mary is there. and She is concerned about this wine as she goes to someone that she feels can do something about it. So the first camp is, well, first son, do something about it. The second camp is Mary is asking God himself, Jesus as the Messiah, to do something. So next slide, it, it goes to Luke Chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. Mary knew this from Gabriel. Mary knew some stuff. She has some insight. So verse 31 through 33 says, And behold, you will conceive. This is Gabriel speaking. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So the Son of the Most High, this is God. So he's God's Son. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will, and his kingdom there will be no end. So Mary is downloaded this information, and she don't even know she's pregnant. <laughs> Mary getting all this information. I'm gonna have a son, he's gonna be God, he's gonna be the son of God. His, his kingdom is going to reign forever. Like, how's this going to happen? I'm not even pregnant. Like, well, I'm not, that's a different message. But Mary knows. Mary knows there's something different about Jesus. My wife and I were talking last night, and she gave me some great insight. She says, Mary would have noticed some things about Jesus growing up. He's different from my other boys and girls. There's something about him. You know, he just automatically takes out the trash. <laughs> you know, he just, he just does stuff. He, he, he looks at his dad, and next thing you know, there's something hanging down the house. Jesus just goes and fixes it. There's something. Now, again, we don't read this in the story, uh, but maybe G- Mary just knows something different about Jesus. We don't know which camp is correct, but guess what? Tell your neighbor, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. I didn't hear y'all say that. Tell your neighbor, it doesn't matter. There, there we go. Sorry. And, and, and people online, you need to say it as well. We aren't forgetting about you. It doesn't matter which campus it is, but it, what matters is Mary interceded. Mary understood and recognized there's a need. Mary has compassion. There's a need. The wine is running out. I'm going to go to somebody that I know can do something about it, whether it's go order up some new wine, go do something, or let rain or let wine just sprinkle down, rain down. We don't know. She knows that God can do something about it. So, again, Jesus' response is odd. Woman, 
What does this have to do with me? Jesus understood his mission. His mission was to be the sacrificial lamb. His mission was to die. And he understood that when he opened up his public ministry, the attacks were going to start coming. You read in the Gospels, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the the. The, the whole Sanhedrin, which were, re, were both of those camps, the teachers of the religious law, just regular people, they despised him. They didn't like what he was saying. They didn't like what he was doing, which meant he was closer and closer to, to that ultimate death. So he's, he's, it's not yet my time. But he doesn't say no. Doesn't say yes either. But Jesus has compassion. Do you understand when we're a part of Jesus, he cares about the things you care about? Even if it's not in his timing right there, but he cares. So the next thing we see, I'm going to go, okay, let me make sure I say this because I wrote some good stuff down here. I want to make sure I say it. There may be challenges in our world today. We know there are challenges. And Jesus is concerned about those challenges. Intercession. How do we intercede for people? We pray. So there may be people in our life today that are struggling with some things. Could be a family member, friends, coworkers, best friends, siblings, children, people you don't even know. Right now, we see in our world, we see what's happening across the water, across the sea. We see what's happening in Ukraine. Some of us say, well, what can I do about it? We can pray. We can get God on board, the source, because if God is on board, we know that we don't know that the we don't know what's going to happen. But we understand that we can intercede on behalf of others as Mary is doing. Again, go to the source. Go to the source as Mary does. Again, this resource is amazing. <laughs> it says we have the best resource that money can't buy. You go into the book of Acts. Just This just came to me. It's not in my notes. There is this, this person that was trying to buy what was going on. I think they say his name was Bar-Jesus, B-A-R-G-E-S-E-S. Bar-Jesus, he was trying to buy the things that the apostles had, and he couldn't. There was just nothing. You, you can't buy this. You, you can't buy it. You can't earn it. All you can do is be accepted, be invited. So the first one, be invited. We invite Jesus. The second one. Understand that we must intercede on the behalf of others. The third one, be intentional about our desires. When the wine runs out, let's be intentional. Verse 6, now there were six stone jars that were for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And then he said to them, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. So um, we got any Disney fans in here, people that watch Disney? Anybody ever seen Frozen? Yeah, you've you seen Frozen? I'm a little, oh, there we go. Yeah. Seen Fro you've seen Frozen? I've seen it once. <laughs> then I saw the second one once. <laughs> so I've seen Frozen. I don't want to give things away because there are some people in here that say, I've never seen Frozen. I just know it's frozen outside. And so, uh, yes. Um, so there's a character in Frozen that's called Anna. Anna has a sister that's called Ilsa. Now, Say it again. Oh, I got it right? Good, 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 good. The, the kids are engaged. They're like, yes, Anna, Anna and Ilsa. So Anna does some things. 
The town's frozen. Anna's intentional. Anna goes. She's, there's a crisis that's happening. Town's frozen. So that means the, the name of the movie. <laughs> it's frozen. There's a crisis. She's intentional. She knows what she has to do, and she sets off into an adventure to find someone that can help. I'm not trying to give it all away. Some of you guys are going to go watch Frozen today. It's good. <laughs> she goes to a journey to go find somebody that can help her with this process. Now let's go to the book of Exodus, chapter 2. I think I've got that slide up there. Exodus 2, verses 3 through 4. Do I have that too? All righty. Another person that was intentional. This is Moses' mother. When she hit, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. Then she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done. At this time, there was a decree, kill them all, kill all the babies. If you read a chapter before, there's two other unsung heroes in there. I think Shipro and Pua are, are their names. These are midwives, Hebrew midwives. They were told to kill them all. They said, look, the Hebrew women, they're just so fast. When they have children, we can't get to them fast enough. They were lying, but that was a heavenly lie, even though they, you, don't, you shouldn't lie, but God was okay with this. They were preserving the life, preserving life. So Moses would not even have been born if it wasn't for these unsung women midwives that were intentional, intentional about the decision to disobey the Pharaoh. They disobeyed the Pharaoh because they were obeying God. If you read in Acts it says, who should we rather obey? This is Peter speaking. Peter's out of prison now. They say, go back to jail. We told you when you get out of here, don't go back down there preaching. This is Acts 5. Peter says, who should we rather obey you or God? So what does Peter do right if he gets out of jail? Goes right back down there and starts preaching. Intentional. Being intentional about what's going on, about our desires. So, even in the last chapter uh, that, that Pastor preached on last week, we see Jesus himself was very intentional. He went and found Philip. Intentional. There's something about Philip that he needed. He wanted Philip to follow. So, he, he asked Philip to follow, and he did. Now, it's strange for the servants as he tells them to fill the rites of the purification jars, these ceremonial jars. This is interesting. And so, I've got an illustration uh, that I want to show you about these jars. So the scripture just says there were these six jars. You can show, well, don't show that. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Yep. So there's, these, there's only five jars up there, but there's six of these. I know it's funny. Six of these jars that are there. So Jesus is very intentional. Verse 7, he says, fill the jars with water. So we've, we've already read it says that one of these jars is roughly 20 to 30 gallons of water. So you all have Google. You can look this up. 20 to 30 gallons will split the difference. Let's say 25 gallons. 
You know how much 25 gallons of water weigh? It's roughly 200 pounds. One of these stone jars, about 200 pounds, and there's six of them. So again, this is a wedding. This is a big wedding. One camp, uh, if you read uh, theologians and scholars, will say, well, you've got the six camps. It's got the six jars here, and then when you come, you come in, it's dirty outside. When you're walking, there are no paved roads. You're walking in filth. You're walking in dirt. So to be ceremonially clean, you need to wash your hands. So there are six of them. So one camp says, all right, you get to the first one, you wash your hands a little bit. You pour the water on, you wash. You get to the second one, you pour a little water in, you get all the way down to the last one. So we see by the last one, that last one is less dirty than the first one. Then there's another camp that just says there's all six of them that are there. And they're just using They're just, well, it doesn't matter. You're just washing their hands. There's a big wedding. The wedding's in this time invited the entire town. Everybody's there. And so whether it's this camp or that camp, it really doesn't matter. But do you understand, in the jars, are they clean or dirty water? Say a little louder. Did Jesus tell them to go wash out the pots? You sure? It wasn't in there. Let me get my Bible again. No, he doesn't. He says, fill the jars. Hmm. Makes that miracle a little bit more interesting now, doesn't it? <laughs> it's not just water. <laughs> it's dirty water. It's dirty water. You know how heavy and how much time that would have been to clean these jars out? Remember, God is the master of creation. He's, he invented it all. John chapter 1, verse 3 reads that, All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. So again, Jesus created the water. He created the grapes. He created everything. He could have easily just, boom, and, and, and said, well, let's get wine in there. But there needed to be some demonstration. You know, there, he, he's showing them something. There are stages to this, this, this miracle. So it says, fill the jars with water. So whether it's this camp or that camp, we know these jars are dirty, and now this water is dirty. And so this next part, this is a metaphor for us. Do you understand that we're dirty? <laughs> when Jesus comes into our life, we're dirty. Jesus isn't telling us to go clean ourselves up. It's like the illustration of fishing. Anybody ever cleaned a fish before they caught it? Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Let's get them in. Jesus is just saying, come. He'll do the cleaning. So I'm here to say, you may be feeling dirty today. Guess what? Jesus will clean you up. You may be feeling broken today. Jesus is the healer. You may be feeling some shame about certain things, but guess what? Jesus is the, le the ear that's going to listen to who you are. You may feel like you have a sailor's tongue, but guess what? So did Peter, and God said he was going to be the rock, so you may be that rock as well. Maybe you've got a gambling challenge, a gambling issue. You may have dice in your pocket right now, but guess what? Jesus has the capacity to make sure not only that you're a gambler, but he can use that 
and make you a wise investor of money. Jesus is the cleaning agent. Jesus is the best. Now imagine, and he's better. He's better than bleach, Lysol, Fabuloso. You guys be using that Fabuloso. It smells good. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's, just, he's better. He's better than Comet. Can you imagine you go to the store and you look on the shelf for some cleaning stuff and it says, Jesus. <laughs> Who would buy it? Like, ooh, I, he's the cleaner. He is the best cleaning agent of all. So, again, now we're, we're this water may be dirty, but this is a metaphor for us in our life. We might be dirty, but guess what? God, the creator of the universe, has the capacity to make sure that we are clean. When the water runs out, now let's accept, expect something incredible. We're getting there. We're getting to a spot. We're getting there. Let's expect something incredible. And he said, draw out. This is verse 8 again. And he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Verse 9, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the, the good wine until now. Before the wine got to the master of the feast, the MC, depends on your translation, there had to be some action in there. If you read and study, the water just didn't turn to wine once they filled up the jars. Verse 8, he says, he told them, draw some out and take it. Can you imagine the face of, uh, of the servant that's doing this? You want us to do what? <laughs> You've got chunks floating in there. <laughs> we think we saw some fingernails in that stuff. People wash it. We don't read that. Verse 8 says, so they took it. Before a miracle, there needs to be faith. Before a miracle, there needs to be obedience. Before a demonstration, there needs to be a denial. We have to deny our own intellect, our strength, our power, because God is the one. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 9, maybe it's 2. He says, even though I'm weak, I'm strong. So even when we are weak, if we are in Christ, we are strong. So verse 9 says, they took this to the, the master of the feast, and he tasted it. And he didn't know where it came from. Verse 9 says, everyone serves the, the good wine first, and then they've drunk freely, and then the poor. But you've kept the good wine until now. God through Jesus. Jesus himself is this master of creation, which I focused earlier. But we see these elements here. We see water. We see wine. Yes, there's some symbolism here, and I'm not smart enough to go through it all. We, we would need three more days and a lot more sandwiches and some wine uh, to get through all this. But there is some symbolism to the, the water and the wine. Water, we see in this text, water is used to purify, to cleanse. We also understand water 
through baptism. We see water also sometimes reflects and understand, shows the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. We see in the beginning the Holy Spirit is hovering over the water. Water has lots of different symbolism. And we see Jesus likes water. Jesus does a lot of stuff with water. John 2, 1 through 11, we see he turns water to wine. Then we see John chapter 6, he actually walks on water. Um, in John chapter 5, he, he heals a disabled man at the pool. Now, he didn't use the pool. He didn't use the pool, but at the pool, this man that was disabled, lame, could not walk, was healed. And then at the end of John, and also in other, I'm only using things in John, but in other gospel writers as well, you see that he has this miraculous catch. Like they've been fishing all day and found nothing. And next thing you know, in the water, it's cast over there. And they pull this stuff in, and all this miraculous signs of fish come through. So Jesus likes using water. I didn't want to use the one where he, he did something in the clay and he put it on a person's eye. That's a little, well, that's water too, but water from the inside. Some of you guys are like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's okay. Talk to Pastor Jim. He'll tell you. He'll tell you about it. He'll tell you about it. But also now we've got this wine. Communion every month. We, 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 we take communion, right? What does the wine represent? Uh-oh. Now we got water, and now we got blood. Uh, I was chatting with my wife as well. We've seen something like this in the Bible before. We've seen water turn into something. You remember what water turned into in Exodus? Uh-oh. We've seen water turn into blood. Now, is this symbolism? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, maybe, uh, more theologians are smarter than me will say yes. But we've seen the miraculous happen with water. We've seen it turn to blood, but at that point, it was to kill everything. Now, this blood is representing Jesus' blood, the blood that, that saves us, this communion that we see. And we read it every time, you know, take this, do this in remembrance of me, this blood. It confirms the covenant between God and, and people because that blood, that sacrifice through Christ Jesus on the cross, there is no more. That one sacrifice gave us all access. The veil has been torn. We don't have to go in. We don't have to sacrifice all the blood, the, the goats, the lambs. No, it is done once and forever. But now we see this wine. And see, maybe this is a, a representation of the blood that is to come. I read this, uh, and I can't remember who, uh, who wrote it. I wanted to give them credit, and I didn't write it down. So it's changing water meant for purification there into wine, which is the wine is symbolic for blood, is a reference to Jesus' role as Messiah instead of the rituals, that cleansing, the, the rites of purification. Instead of cleansing, we are now purified by the miraculous blood of Christ. So again, a, a, again another, another metaphor here. It's no longer, we don't need those, those, those jars of water anymore. We've got the blood. We've got the blood now that has purified us of all of, the, of all these things. The writer of Hebrews illustrates how Jesus is better. We're getting to the, the good part. You know, this verse says, everyone serves the good wine first. But you have kept the best for last. You understand Jesus is the best? So it, this is a metaphor for Christ himself. The writers of Hebrews, he says Jesus is better, and he lists some things. He said Jesus is better than angels. 
Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the priests. His sacrifice is the best sacrifice that's ever going to happen. Jesus is the best. But if Jesus is the best, why do we keep settling for less? Why aren't we inviting Jesus into our things? What happens when there's a major panic in our life? Tragedy happens. A a, a spouse dies. A son goes away. You've got this ailment. And why don't we invite Jesus? Why don't we get the blood involved? I don't know. I can't answer it. I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to me as well. Sometimes Jesus feels like that last resort. But he's not. He is the best. And he is here for us. So, He turns this water, again, this dirty water, just like us, broken into not just wine. What type of wine was it? The best wine. It wasn't Welch's. There's some in this wine. The best wine. If you actually understand how wine is, people that collect wine and they keep it for years and years and years because it just keeps fermenting. It's getting better and better and better and better. How long has this wine been fermenting? Say it again. Seconds. Seconds. How long is this? This is kind of a trick question. How long has this wine been fermenting? Uh Oh, there it is. In the beginning. (laughs) In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Verse 14 says the word became flesh. Who's the word? Jesus Christ. Jesus is making this wine. So when Jesus makes that wine, it's been fermenting forever, forever, ever, the beginning. If you go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, before the world was created, Christ loved us. So before, in the beginning? Yes. Go back to Genesis 1 and say before that. So again, this wine has been fermenting forever. And now he's just displaying it for us. What is that telling me? When I get Christ. You know, when Jesus says, greater things you'll be able to do. That's what he's talking about. The God that lives inside of me and you has been fermenting forever. So the grace, the power, the glory that resides in us, we can make miracles happen. But it's not in our glory. It's in his glory. In the time, this was Jesus' glory. Verse. Let's get to the next one. Wrapping up, it's time to get out of here. Verse 11, we read that now it's time for people to believe. I'm going to leave that pen down here because apparently it doesn't work for me. Now, it says, this is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Canaan, Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. When we do things today, we don't do it in our glory. We do it in God's glory. And this time period, Jesus is doing this in his glory. The manifestation of his glory. Jesus is a regular person like us at this time. He is in human form. But he manifested that glory. He manifested his glory. Pastor Jim preached on this a few weeks ago, understanding this this manifestation of the glory. We just have a foretaste. A foretaste. Using these, these words. We're talking about tasting wine. But we have a foretaste. You go to, I don't think I put this in the notes, Uh, Romans chapter 8. I don't think I put this in there. Romans chapter 8 talks about a foretaste of us having the Holy Spirit. Just a foretaste 
of that glory and that power that's going to come to us once we get on the other side, once we get to heaven. Jesus has not just the foretaste. Jesus got all taste. I don't know what that word is. <laughs> he got all the taste. We operate through Jesus when we do things. And Jesus tells us when we walk, the only agent of the Godhead, bless you, the only agent of the Godhead that is on earth, God's in heaven, Jesus is in heaven, where's the Holy Spirit? So that lets you know there is a God in here. There is a God in here. But first, you got to do like what the disciples did. First, you got to believe. First, you got to believe. You don't get these benefits. You don't get the benefits without getting and understanding what the benefits are for. Jesus died. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus carried his own cross for me and for you so that we can have life and have the life in abundance. I don't just want to have life. I want to have a lot of life. I don't just want to have wine. I want to have fermented wine. I don't want to just have a wife. I want to have the best looking wife, and that's what I got. Life in abundance. That's what Jesus is promising to us. That's what he's given to them. Not just the, any wine, but the best wine. And then we see the disciples. Whether it's five, whether it's six, we don't know. But we know that they believed. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. So when, when John says that they believed, he's saying they are believing forever. They have eternal life now. These same disciples, once Jesus ascended, Holy Spirit came, filled them. They went out. They went everywhere. Some went to Samaria. Some went and talked to the Gentiles. Some went and talked to the Jews. And here we are, over 2,000 years later, still carrying the gospel because they believed on this day. It says this is the first of his signs that he did and manifested his glories and his disciples believed in him. They were walking with him in chapter 1. Follow me. They followed him. But we didn't read that they believed yet. You understand that sometimes, my wife and I were talking about this last night. We were, we were debating on Mary. I didn't put this in. We are debating on Mary. Is she a believer at this point? We don't know. We don't know if she's a believer or not. We know she knows. We know she knows who Jesus is. But you understand, there's head knowledge and there's heart knowledge. You can understand and know who the God of the universe is, but that doesn't mean you believe. You can know that you've got to go to the end of the journey to find Ilsa. You know you have to go all the way over there, but it doesn't mean you're going to do it. That's a long journey. <laughs> we just ride this out. Global warming's coming. It's, it's not going to be frozen forever. <laughs> Anna went. Moses' mother, you know what? I don't think the Pharaoh is as bad as he says he is. He's not going to kill my baby. No. She's intentional. She sends him out, puts him in the basket. Daughter, sister, Miriam, by the way, watches out, sees the Pharaoh's daughter, gets her, gets Moses. Now Moses grows up. 
one of the best places that he can grow up. He learns everything. New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul. Same thing. Remember I talked about being dirty? He doesn't call Paul after. He calls Paul in the way, in route, in route to go get him. Whether it was killing him, was dragging him, he had the decree. He had a sign. I'm going to get him. Next thing you know, Jesus shows up. What does it have to take for Jesus to show up in your life for you to believe? Does it take death? Does it take illness? Does it take hurt? Does it take betrayal? What does it take? For Paul, it just said, why are you persecuting me? And he knew and understood that there's something to this. This isn't just what I thought it was. There's something to this. So as we close today, walking you back through when the wine runs out. Again, if you haven't realized, the wine's a metaphor. When we, when we run out, when we run dry, when we understand that, that, that we're just running low, we're, we're, we're not really sharing the gospel the way we need to, we're not doing whatever we need to do the way we should, we're just we're running low. Let's walk back through our steps. Let's make sure that we invite Jesus when we're running low. Let's make sure that we're interceding on behalf of others when we're running low. Let's make sure that we are intentional about our desires when we're running low. We also have to make sure that we expect a miracle to happen. Expect the incredible. And last, when we're running low, we we have to continue to believe in Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for the word. Thank you for, again, we are just the vessel, Lord. Later on in John, it says that John the Baptist said he had to decrease because Jesus was now on the scene and he was going to increase, Lord. So just thank you for delivering this word today. Thank you for us having the metaphor of the wine running out, Lord. When we get low, when we get stressed, we know that you are there for us to help fill us up, even though it may be dirty at times. We know that you're going to fill us up, and we know that you are going to give us the best because that's what you did. You gave us the best through your son, Christ, the best we could ever ask for, Lord. So again, thank you for our church. Thank you to Pastor Jim and the elders for uh, just giving me an opportunity to speak today, Lord. Uh, But I want to speak directly into you, whether you're sitting in here or listening online. Maybe you don't know Christ today. Today is the day. Well, you don't have to wait until next week. Today is the day. Today, he can fill you up. He can make that dirtiness clean. He can take the brokenness, heal you. He can take your shame and listen. He is the source. He is the agent. So, Lord, thank you. So if there are people today that don't know Christ but want to know, people that are today that are afraid to step out, just want to let you know, if you step out, you're going to be a step up. Because Christ is waiting and willing with his hands stretched to say, come on in. So thank you for who you are, Jesus. Thank you for all you've done. We ask these blessings in your son, Jesus. Amen.